Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Welcome to episode 279, the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. I almost did the whole intro that's pre-recorded there. Oops, sorry. Hey, buddy, how you doing this week? <laughs> Good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm banging my head against some things in Azure, so that's oh, on really? my list to go find some Azure PMs to come help explain it to me and our listeners. So, but how are you doing? Yeah, good. I, um, I was just looking through some of the reviews on the uh, various different places our podcast is, and it's kind of nice to see some kind comments left by people. They are definitely a bit lighter than I'd expect, though. I mean, I know we bring the you bring this up a few times, but Claz Cool, who I, I can't correlate who that actually would be in our audience, but uh, enjoys the content, have been a fan for the show for a long time now. Great topic and content. Thank you. Uh, Five stars. Boom. So we're currently on iTunes or Apple podcasts, 4.9 stars out of five for 22 ratings, but we're still going to celebrate 22 ratings. We're going to celebrate 4.9, right? Totally. I think it's worth a beer for sure. Totally. Or a margarita. Excellent. If you are listening and we, from our mystical stats, know that 50% of you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please unlock your phone this second and give us a nice rating and tell us why you like the show. Because I'm sure a lot of you are regular visitors. We can see that from the when we publish shows and see the polls come down straight away from everyone who's got it set up to automatically download. And um, we want to keep bringing guests. So we need to make sure that we can show our guests that you love us. So it's worth them coming on the show. And if you have topics or guests you'd love to hear from, we're certainly open to suggestions. Try to track them down. Uh, totally. Um, yeah. My idea is for what I'm banging my head against this week, but there's a lot of other stuff out there. So certainly we'd do that. And uh, we have a good few lines of guests coming up too, which I'm excited to have on. So we've got some topics that we've not talked about before too. So we'll have some exclusives for the, the lure of not build and not ignite, which I think is going to be neat for the show too. So excellent. Excellent. So this week you sit down with Piers Bragan, and I'm sorry, Piers, if I mispronounced that. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> join the club of people whose names I screw up. So uh, it's a weekly um, occurrence. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think I think I got Daryl Miller set. I pronounced that one right, but that's about, <laughs> that's about my limit. So uh, yeah. So I uh, think so. You found Piers. Uh, he's a coworker. Uh, tell us a little bit about him and what uh, what what's uh, the topic. He's always been on my radar because he came from Xamarin and part of that acquisition, and um, he's been working with us on tooling in uh, the developer division. And as you see in the interview, like he kind of talks through that story and what he's doing now and uh, just super, super nice guy and really, really smart. And so it's always nice when you can kind of get guests on the show like that and just kind of wind up questions and let it roll. Excellent. Thanks, buddy. And then have a good week. You too. Okay, I'm here with Pierce today, who you're in Utah, which it was a shock to me. I thought you were in, in Redmond, but I guess everyone could be anywhere they want to be right now in this world, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I live out in Utah in Park City, get to ski all winter. Uh, I live like two miles from a ski resort. And then uh, in the summer, wow. I mountain bike, hike, backpack. It's really like paradise. Um, 
especially like working in tech, you like you stare at computers all day <laughs> in your phone yeah. and being able to go out into nature and stuff is like a super good, like counterbalance to all the time I spend in front of screens. Yeah, no, I hear you. I've only been down there once and it's quite close to uh, Seattle or Washington state anyway, yeah. for uh, NG Conf, Angular conference. And actually it's the first time I met like Dan Wallene and a bunch of people. And, uh, I just remember flying into that airport and just how beautiful and serene all that mountain range was in the background. It's amazing down there. And yeah, my thoughts were one, I want to get my Jeep down there. And two, I want to get out on the on the trails with my mountain bike as well, because they look like some wild ones down there. I'm not much of a skier, definitely more of a summer mountain person. Yeah, no, I mean, it's awesome here. This is like world-class skiing and mountain biking. So yeah. it's amazing and it's cool. Like I used to work in the Microsoft Boston office and I moved here four years ago. And that was before obviously COVID and a lot more people were working from home. Uh, and so it was cool. I was able to do that at that time. And of course now it's like cool how much more accepted it is and like normal right. that I'm working from home and not from, you know, Seattle or an office or anything like that. And just proof that you can work remotely and still be really productive and have a lot of impact at Microsoft, which is pretty cool. And so um, it's funny, I had listened to your podcast with Vaser and Waldeck and you were talking about your time prior to Microsoft at Xamarin. And I'd totally forgotten that you were one of the Xamarin folks that come across, I think, because I've been working with you on the, the Teams Toolkit stuff for the last few years that I just, you know, sometimes you forget people's background. Can you tell us a little bit about that story before we jump into the topic today? Because I think people will be interested to understand like what you did at Xamarin and how you jumped across. Yeah, sure. I was working at like a typical, uh, you know, I need to wear khakis and a button down <laughs> IT shop uh, <laughs> when I was an intern, like freshman year after, uh, like in between uh, spring and fall semesters, I was just doing an internship and I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> like, uh, this is not for me. And uh, at the time, this was like uh, 2011. So mobile was like starting to become really a thing, especially mobile dev. And so I was like, okay, I want to build, I, maybe I'll get into mobile and like, I'll try that. Um, and so I started like poking around and was just like really dismayed by how challenging it was. At the time there was no Swift, uh, you were doing Java or Objective-C and those were your right. options if you wanted to be a mobile dev. Um, and so I kind of like randomly discovered Xamarin. I didn't actually know C-sharp at the time. Um, but I found it to be much more approachable. And so I just kind of started playing with that tech. Yeah. And uh, how I actually started working there was kind of by accident. Um, so there was this IRC chat back in the day we, that uh, the Xamarin team had with the community. And I was just like, hey, are y'all hiring interns? And they were like, well, no, not really, actually. And we're not really hiring anybody kind of at your level who's a little bit more junior right now. Um, but for some reason, like uh, who ended up the person who ended up becoming my boss, Joseph Hill, was like, you know what, I'll get you on the phone. We'll see what you can do. Um, and so I just kind of had like an interview that day. Wow, far out. Yeah, so I, I started on uh, customer support, but really like at a um, at a startup, you do like many things, so. You do everything, yeah. Yeah, so your title is customer support, but you know, you're an engineer, you're a PM, you're QA, you, 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 call, you fulfill all the roles, right? Your docs, your sales. Um, and so, you know, that was actually super instructive for me. Now I'm a PM at Microsoft and like mm -hmm. being able to do all of those different things and understand really like what the purpose of all those different roles were, like was really uh, informative as to what I became as a PM, um, which is, I don't consider myself, some PMs are like, I am really, really like top 1% at this thing. I'm much more of like a generalist. I might be like really good at a few things and together that's a really unique skill set. And I think I got that from the Xamarin team. 
so I, yeah, I worked all throughout college for Xamarin. And then after I graduated, I moved to Boston, worked there. And then we got acquired by Microsoft. Um, I was a little scared. <laughs> you know, it's never good when you're working at a startup and you get the all hands meeting randomly called. Yeah. Um, you're like, oh God, like something's about to happen. And I didn't know what to expect. Like uh, after the, we were told we were being acquired, I was like, could be good, could be bad. You never know. You know, sometimes with these acquisitions, the team doesn't come with the product uh, or a large portion of the team doesn't come with the product to the acquiring company. And so right. I didn't really know what to think. Microsoft was undergoing cultural change. This was like 2016. So it was still kind of like uh, newish under the Satya regime. Um, and so I didn't really have like a lot of expectations. And actually, like after we joined Microsoft, I was like, you know, I'll put in a few years here. It'll be cool. And then I'll find something else somewhere else. And like, and now here you are. We were joking before we started chatting. Like I was like, everyone, you're like, how do I end up at Microsoft for so long? And I guess I haven't been there for that long. And this is uh, year six for me. But, um, you know, you <laughs> like I found the perfect team for me. I work in developer division at Microsoft. So we do like tools like VS Code, Visual Studio. We do um, services. So a lot of the Azure services, we do languages and frameworks. So like .NET, TypeScript, .NET MAUI. Um, so it really was like the perfect team for me. So I landed in like the perfect spot. But yeah, now it's been six years. I, I worked on mobile for several years here at Microsoft. And then a couple of years ago, I moved over to work, start working on teams and the Power Platform stuff. It is kind of funny, like the amount of people that I know over there and like we sit in like the developer platform space in other parts of Microsoft. And there's so many people I look up to and admire over there in, in DevDiv. And so it is a really good spot to be in. And they're all super friendly and very community driven and led. So yeah, you're in a good spot. Yeah. I mean, I think like uh, I know from a PM perspective, one thing I really appreciate is like almost all of our PMs, like as a nature of our customers for the products we're building being developers, like we're all really passionate about that space. Um, and that's, I think, really unique for PM because I think in many places, PMs are seen as like the project managers who like go and make all the things happen. But that's not really the case in DevDiv here. We're like the what and why for the product. And it happens to be developer products. And it's like, I mean, it's very cliche, but like, it is really cool that I get to work on things that millions of developers are using every single day. Um, and like that amount of impact on the world is just like so cool. And you, you work with really passionate people. Like they always say, like, don't meet your heroes. But I, I work with a lot of them here in DevDiv and they're all really awesome. So yeah, it's, it's been really cool. The the product you're on right now, the the Teams Toolkit, uh, that, that eventually or originally was formed out of the Teams Engineering Group. And then it got transitioned into the developer division to be closer to Visual Studio, right? Is that, that was the main reason that happened, I'm guessing. Yeah, for sure. And um, I think like another thing is we build a lot of dev tools for a lot of different things. So yeah, so it makes sense for it to be there. I, I think the thing that you recognize as you build dev tools, uh, I mean, even coming from mobile, there are patterns and things that are true across like whatever you're building. Yeah. Um, and the interesting thing, not that, uh, you know, the team's team couldn't have been successful continuing to build that in their org, but like, we learned those lessons and we didn't have to relearn them, right? About like how you build dev tools and things for developers. And so from that perspective, it helped, we were able to have a, probably a little bit better, better velocity with it being inside of developer division. But like, I think the cool thing about the way the partnership works is, is we work very, very, very closely with our team's counterparts and really across all of Microsoft. Yeah, it's been awesome to see you guys work. Isn't it like a dev did thing? Yeah. This is just like a Microsoft thing? Yeah, exactly. Like um, I, the thing that I really appreciate is we get to leverage each other's strengths which mitigates all of our like individual like weaknesses and flaws. And so like really like I think it results in better products for developers, which I think is the really, really cool thing. I've already liked the, we do the monthly 
calls across you know the divisions and come and the way that we demonstrate everything we're doing the way that your team specifically demonstrates the team stuff and it's very we and inclusive and talking about everything that's going on is it's amazing when you step back and you think about how many people are involved on like that end result and all the moving parts that happen on the covers across like identity and teams and graph and every, you know azure it's it's cool but to get into it uh, the the reason I pinged you, well, primarily was like, I listened to your show and I was like, I want to catch up with Piers a bit more <laughs> to find out more about his Xamarin stuff uh, in person was the tweet you did, uh, which was, hang on, I've got it open here. It was May 31st, actually, uh, so not long ago, but it was talking about the fact that your team runs on Teams apps. And so I'm assuming you wanted the dog food or tooling by building Teams apps for your own team. Well, how did that come about and what? Where did you start and what have you built? Yeah, so I, I think it kind of starts with this. On our team, like I, I really strongly believe that we have to be close to our customer and that's like also a very cliched thing. And of course we talk to customers and like we get your feedback as a community about how we can be better. But like, I think there is a whole nother level of uh, empathy that you develop by using your own product. And you uncover things and you feel all the pain that everyone using your product feels. And you feel all the joy as well, right? Um, you see the things that are great and you see the things that are not so great and where you need to improve. And so kind of, especially as uh, we're not part of really the the team team or really the broader M365 organization, like for us, a lot of that is new, right? Like um, actually like, and I had even come from a world where I was using, uh, at Xamarin, we had used Slack before the acquisition. And so- I was going to say, you're a, you're a yeah. Slack, right? So you're familiar with the platform from that side too. Exactly. And so like really like stepping into the breadth of everything that Teams platform was and what that meant, um, it was a lot, right? Like the, the cool thing about Teams is there's just so much breadth in terms of extensibility and different things you can do and places you can extend the platform. And so that was something we really like were trying to learn. And we were like, well, the best way for us to learn and to build a better uh, developer tools for teams is to just build apps ourselves and use them ourselves. And I, I think it's like, uh, that's really, it would be disingenuous for me to be like, hey, all of you should be building teams apps, <laughs> but I'm not going to do it myself, right? It's like building an electric car and driving a V8. <laughs> exactly. Gas guzzler. Exactly. And so like, uh, that's kind of how it came about. We're like, well, yeah, like let's start thinking about how we really like drive our work through teams. What does that actually mean? And so we kind of started at the time we were using a lot of like browser-based equivalents for different apps, uh, in some cases like native apps for different things. And we're like, okay, like let's just start with the apps that we're already using, uh, both by, made by Microsoft and like external to Microsoft as well in the team store. And so we started adopting some of the apps. So like we use Power BI and Mural and Figma and all those fun apps to do a lot of our you know, design ideation and like uh, dashboarding and things like that. And so that was step one. Let's just adopt like the team's equivalents for the apps we already use. And I think like the cool thing about that is once I install the app into Teams, it goes everywhere with me. Yeah. Like, I think that was always something that I was frustrated by. Like I'm on mobile and I need to check a Power BI dashboard. It's like, oh, it's such a pain in the butt, like doing the whole off and you got to go to the website and oh, you need Intune. And like, it's just, it, it cascades into a million things. And with Teams, I like it's just there, right? I don't have to worry about it. We can pin it. We all see the same dashboard. It's in the channel. Um, and so we started with those apps. And then quickly what you realize is like, you want to build your own stuff because you have your own way of working as a team. And so we really, uh, this is around the time we were like, we need to make bots simpler because uh, we had been basically talking to a lot of folks like y'all. And it was like, 
hey, bots are awesome. Like our bot platform is incredibly powerful. We support this full range of conversational multi-turn AI-based chatbot scenarios. But like as we talked to more and more developers and, and like our own scenarios that we were thinking about for what we needed in Teams, we were like, actually, like it's awesome we have all that power. But for many of the scenarios, I just something happens in my business and I just want to post to Teams. Or I just want to do a simple command and I want something to happen. Like, I don't want to think about bots and like dialogues and all the different bot concepts. I just want that to happen, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we were like, okay, well, like, what are some of the business processes we had on our team? And it was like, okay, uh, I'm sure you do this on your team. Like, uh, search social media for like the term for our product to see if customers have said anything, right? And so that was one bot of like, okay, like, let's, uh, you know, on set, some set time interval, Let's uh, query Twitter, mostly, look for the Teams Toolkit search term. And if customers say anything, let's post that back to our feedback channel so that we get all of our customer feedback right. there. And they were like, well... And then you could have like a discussion around that particular message. Exactly, yeah. And so we can all kind of collaborate around the same thing. And, you know, I can be like, I got it. Or John could be like, I'm taking care of this one. I'll respond to the customer. And so like, it was really cool from that perspective. And then we were like, okay, well, the feedback thing works. Like, what about like, we have a survey people fill out we pop it in the dev tools some people like get really annoyed by it and hit the exit button but if you fill it out we really appreciate it because we read every single response and so uh something that will happen is people would fill out the survey and like the problem is you have to go and visit the survey website right and like query the responses and look and see if anything's changed and you have to proactively do that right right and what we wanted to do is make it be more reactive kind of like what we had done for social media of like hey when someone completes the survey and a reply comes in Let's just say, hey, someone completed the survey in Teams so that someone can go take a look at it, read the feedback, if necessary, reach out to the, the person who left the feedback and they left their contact info. Right. Because a lot of the time with our surveys, like unless you respond to them within 30 days, you lose their contact information for privacy reasons. And so exactly. we do a similar thing as well. That's interesting. Yeah. And, and like I think uh, as well, like the longer that say I leave feedback about something, and I know this is true for me as well. If you come back to me a week later, I don't remember what I was doing. I don't remember how it happened. But the quicker I can get to the so person true. who filled out that, that feedback, it's more actionable. Yeah. And so we really wanted to post that into Teams. And so uh, we use SurveyMonkey as like our preferred survey tool on our team. And so basically what we needed for that scenario was like the other one was a timer trigger. Like we were uh, basically querying uh, Twitter uh, every like hour or three hours or whatever time interval we had set it for and it would post right. into Teams. So that was kind of a timer-based bot um, that would proactively send messages. This is more of an HTTP trigger because basically really what we wanted is when someone completes a survey, SurveyMonkey has the ability to post a, to a webhook. Oh, so you're calling a webhook you've built. Yeah, so, so exactly. So SurveyMonkey would post to my API and then we would want that to put a, a message into Teams. And so that was part of SurveyMonkey. So that's kind of an HTTP trigger-based bot. And so really, as we started to kind of discover more of these scenarios where we had these existing processes and they were improved by being in Teams, we started to kind of ideate how that would make the toolkit better. And so then that ended up becoming what uh, were major features in our GA release for our Visual Studio Code uh, Teams toolkit product, uh, which were right. notification and command bots. So like it, it was really like kind of a discovery process of like, hey, we're going to go build these ourselves and figure out how we make it really simple to build these integrations. And then you shrink wrap them as... Exactly. And then you generalize it into, okay, well, like, how do we make that really easy for other people to build these types of integrations? Um, and then we made that into the product that is, uh, you know, features in Teams Toolkit. So... 
so two, two things. So I get the notification bot. That's just like yep. posting a notification into a channel. Mm-hmm. Command bot. What's the theory around the command bot? So notification bots are more reactive in nature. So if you want something to happen and you don't want to have to think about it, notification bots are great for that. Command bots or I are basically like, I actively want something to happen. So like an example on our team is like you, that's very common um, in other chat ecosystems as well. It's kind of like these chat op scenarios where like, I want to start a server or kill a server or like, I want to query some data. So like you can just do like a slash command and you define essentially the term and then you can have some inputs based off of that. And then basically the bot takes that, it says, okay, it's this command with these inputs, I need to do these actions. And then it goes and does that. Um, So it's really good for these scenarios where you want to proactively kick off a workflow that you have in your business. That makes sense. Now, bots in general, and I know this, and actually co-host Paul, it done a lot with bots where he works too, is it can be quite a complex platform at Microsoft. And in the last 10 years, Microsoft kind of, you know, we've been around the bushes on a few different approaches to this thing. And I was involved in the Azure Bot Service launch I guess 2014, I guess, maybe, which was all, you know, functions driven and so forth. And there's the bot framework. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, then there's Power Apps and there's the, the bots over there. Yeah. So what does the toolkit do? I'm guessing you had to make some, uh, I guess, opinionated decisions on, on what you picked exactly. in those templates that you've done. So what, what way did you guys go? Yeah, so I think the way I think about Teams Toolkit is we're two things. We are just regular dev tools. So, you know, we can do all the things you could do if you just had Visual Studio or Visual Studio Code, but for Teams, I can create apps, I can debug apps, I can publish apps. Okay, that's great. The second part is opinions, which you don't have to adopt, but you can adopt if you want to make your life a little bit simpler for certain scenarios. Like if I'm already a dev shop and I already know all about Bot Framework and I uh, want to do all the ins and outs and powerful things, I can still do that. The toolkit lets you do that. Uh, But if you're like, hey, I have this really simple scenario, I don't want to get up to speed on bots. I need something simpler. That's kind of what our opinionated uh, scaffolds do, um, is they help you get help you get to these scenario-based outcomes quicker. So the way we did this is we kind of uh, we thought about it deeply because we were like, well, we could just do something really simple, which is basically just posting into Teams. Uh, we don't have to use bots at all. We don't have to use bot framework at all. But we felt like right, you could just use the graph and push it through. Right, and and, and that's still a valid approach. I think uh, what we decided is we wanted a way for it to be simple to start but we wanted you to be able to grow, right? Like what happens if I did want that notification bot to become a full-fledged conversational chat bot, right? Like what if I wanted that? Well, if we just went like a simple, like, okay, hit this API, post into Teams, you know, you're going to have to start over with bot framework, right? And you're going to have to rebuild that experience. And we wanted something that could really scale from the simple scenario to the complex. And so basically what we ended up doing is adding a thin wrapper over uh, bot framework as part of our Teams FX library. And we include that in uh, the project scaffold and it's still using bot framework uh, and bot service. You just abstract it to be very simple. Exactly. That's smart. For the command and uh, notification scenarios, we've abstracted it. And it's a very light abstraction. So it's not heavy. It's not like this would never be like, I actually think if if someone was to go into Team Toolkit, you know, create a new project, create a notification bot and you look at the code, you're like, okay, I can kind of see like this is bot framework if you actually know it's bot framework, but it's also very approachable if you don't know anything about bots, which I actually didn't when I started uh, working with uh, with Teams Toolkit. So basically like for notification bots, for example, like all you have to do, you create the notification bot, then you essentially add your business, your standard business logic to hit like whatever API you want. So like maybe it was 
calling the Twitter API to get the recent tweets that use the search term Teams Toolkit. Um, then you kind of deserialize those results, like in you know, a standard business logic stuff, and then you just present it in a card. And that's basically all you have to do, which is really, really simple. And then the abstraction layer then takes that card rendering and does the magic to get it into Teams. Exactly. So you basically say, I this is the logic I have, and I want it to hydrate the, this card in this way, and that's all you have to do. And you don't even actually have to use adaptive cards. Uh, you can even send plain text. So if you're like, you know what, I don't even need adaptive cards. I just want you to say something happens in plain text. You can even do plain text. So, so basically, we've abstracted it to three easy steps. You create the app, you add your business logic, and then you populate the card. And that's really all you have to do. And for notification bots, you can select, um, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but you can select a timer-based bot. So I can say every, you know, on the time interval, I want this bot to run and post something into Teams. Or uh, you can do an HTTP-based trigger. So you can do that survey uh, scenario that I talked about earlier. And then SurveyMonkey just calls that trigger. Which, you know, I find is very useful for a lot of business scenarios where you have more of an event-based architecture of like something happened to my business and I need people to respond to it. Like you're probably already kind of building this eventing like infrastructure and that hooks in really neatly with that. And so in that theory, have you got to the point where like with my team, with Microsoft Q&A, conversations and so forth like we round robin the questions so that each of my nine you know they'll get a few a few a week to handle you could put that logic directly into that bot code and then just at mention them as part of the card or the messaging teams right yeah totally we're also like i think we've gotten really good feedback it's only been about a, a month since build and the ga launch of teams toolkit uh, which is available for vs code cli and visual studio and we've gotten really good feedback on on the notification and command bot scenarios. And actually, like as we have talked to customers, there's a lot of other scenarios that are coming up more, which are in some ways, sometimes variations of those other two experiences and sometimes different ones. Um, so I, I suspect that we'll be adding more of these variations in the future. Um, like we're getting a lot of requests for like workflow type apps. Like I need uh, this to happen and then this happen. And then if that happens, do this. Which I, Logic Apps, Power Virtual Agents, uh, Power Automate, these are all great options as well. I think like the really good thing is we have a lot of different ways you can get to the outcomes you need to go to. Like if you want the low code way, you can go that way. Right. It depends on the scale of someone. Yeah, exactly. And if you want pro code, you can go that way too. And I, it's great we have that breadth of options. The downside is, is it does sometimes create some complexity. You're like, well, just tell me where to start. Like I need, I, I need an opinion. Yeah. I don't know which way to go. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's- Or they go the low code route, can't do it, and then have to restart and go the, you know, the pro code route instead. I also work quite a bit with the Power Platform team. Like they've done a lot of work on Power Virtual Agents as well. Like they've integrated Bot Composer. And so like, I really think like, this is kind of my own personal opinion, not something that I, I think is Microsoft, but I think- what I see happening is a lot of the pro code stuff is moving more towards low code. And a lot of the low code stuff is adopting more pro code principles right. because more configuration and stuff. Exactly. What you really recognize is that, you know, when I'm building an app, maybe 70, 80% of it is undifferentiated uh, logic that I'm writing. Like there's nothing particularly special about it. Like, okay, I need to head an API. Okay. Well, it's kind of the same boilerplate code I'm writing every single time I need to hit an API and deserialize response and cache it. Okay, that's undifferentiated code. So there's a lot of things that I really like aren't particularly differentiated about the code I write, but then there's that last 10, 20% where I really am like doing deep integrations and I need that customization. And what I see is like pro code is getting a lot more of the things that make it easier to give me that 80, 90% and low code is getting those things that make it really easy for me to get that 10, 20%. And so like, 
you kind of see the solutions coming together more over time. But I think what we tried to do with Teams Toolkit is like say, okay, like this is a great entry point for you if you don't know much about bots, you can do a notification or command bot. And if you will still want to create a full bot framework bot with all of those concepts and everything, because that's what's familiar to you or that's what your scenario requires, you can still do that. So we've, tried to, we've kind of tried to like give people the flexibility to do what they want while still providing those opinions to help people get started much easier. And so tell me, when you build that bot, when it comes to deployment time and you know, the bot framework is a framework, it needs a runtime for it to run. It's a bit like, for instance, if it's not triggered and running code, but it's a timer. So I'm guessing in local dev, that's just running in some bot framework runtime that's local to your machine. But what happens when you deploy that to Teams? Like, where is that runtime? Is that something Teams provides or is that pushed into Azure? And Great question. Uh, it's pushed into Azure uh, today, but you could deploy it. Teams Toolkit basically... Um, we have built-in support for kind of infrastructure as code and everything from provisioning new services to deploying into them. And uh, we have first-class integrations with Azure, but there's no reason you couldn't take what we're putting on disk with uh, notification and command bots and run it in another uh, cloud or on-prem if you wanted to. Um, so really like uh, the main two options we have, we have like a Restify-based option, which is kind of the default for um, for Node, for Bot Framework today. Um, but we also have an Azure Functions-based option for people who kind of like that programming model, which is really nice for like the trigger, the, the like timer trigger. Totally. You don't have to think about building that logic of like continuously running and pulling and then, okay, now we have to re-trigger. All that's built into Azure Functions. So, you know, there, there's trade-offs there. Like, okay, then you have to use the Azure Functions programming model, but we felt like it provided enough simplicity and people were familiar with that. It has a great local dev experience that it was worth doing. Um, now, that being said, like for notifications, it's perfect because these aren't necessarily things that I need. Like, I'm okay paying a little bit of runtime hit with having to, you know, spin up the serverless instance to go and send my notification, right? Every time I need to do that, which makes it much cheaper to run these things. But if I needed something, you know, that was uh, high availability, always there, you know, um, and I didn't want to have the bot framework runtime have to spin up and down each time I ran that function. Okay, well, then I can use Restify, I can deploy into App Service, right? So you have a lot of different flexibility depending on the needs of your scenario. And there's pros and cons to each, just like there's really no perfect answer to how you should do these things. We've just provided some opinions that give you different options and you can pick what's best for you. And I was fascinated with Scott Hunter in DevDiv. They brought in App Service, Azure Functions into his world. And at first I was like, well, but that's Azure. Why is it moving over there? But for the reasons you just said, it makes total sense for those kind of paths type things to be closer to the dev tooling so that they can be really integrated into these types of tools when you're building building things like this. That's really neat. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think I've always kind of had more of a client perspective of the world, obviously coming from Xamarin and now working on Teams. Uh, so I have a very client-focused perspective of the world. But I think like, you know, something you're going to see more of in Teams Toolkit in the future is we want to make it really easy for you. We know you have existing cloud resources and things that you want to consume. And basically... A lot of the scenarios we hear are like, I already have some business process or business system or business data. I want to basically make teams the front end for that, right? And so basically, I think you'll see us continue to kind of bring those concepts closer together um, and reduce the complexity of integrating those things together. Because really, a lot of the scenarios are like, hey, I already have some process or data. How do I represent that in teams? Like, I think, uh, you know, if I had orders and I was, uh, I was doing order fulfillment, um, I probably already have a process for that, but one one could imagine how it could be better in Teams. Like I get assigned 
uh, a particular item I need to fulfill. I get the message, I have an adaptive card, I can mark it done. And so really like what you see a lot of um, and what I've gotten a lot of value uh, from Teams is, is these scenarios where Teams is kind of the front end for these processes that I have that I was doing in a million rando tools before. Now they're in one place. Um, the other really cool thing I like about Teams apps, which is kind of an aside and really nothing to do with Teams Toolkit, is one challenge I always had when I worked on Xamarin and I would hear from customers all the time is like, we're building these apps for our internal employees, but they're not using them and they're not finding them. Right, because of discoverability. And I think one of the really cool things about Teams Platform is the discoverability aspect. And you can even, as an admin in Teams, I can say, hey, the sales team, this AAD group gets all the sales apps. They just get them installed and pinned by default. They're in their channels. And so like, I know as a developer, I want the stuff I built to actually be used. <laughs> and so from that perspective, like that's a really cool element of Teams platform that maybe when I started, I didn't appreciate, but now I think is really cool. Is like, I can make sure the right users in my org have the right apps, uh, which was not something that was always true before. Right, and, and in Microsoft, like back in the day, all of the enterprise apps that would just be one big giant directory and you know you could never find the thing you wanted to use without doing some creative bookmarking and i mean a lot of them have gone web-based now so they are easy to bookmark if you want to do it that way in a browser but um i do find myself using a lot of those pinned apps in the in the left-hand rail in teams or like they're just there in a team in a tab or you know i can talk to it as a bot in that channel so tell me I'm assuming you're not writing all yours yourself. There's a fair few people in your team. So from a continuous integration, continuous deployment, you know, source control, what does the toolkit do for you there? Like, you know, for instance, I wanted to, I know Brian and my team has built these bots using the Power Virtual Agent, but I know we're hitting some of the limitations of what we want to do in terms of logic of round robbing in and if someone's oof and I'm like, this could be easy if we just write code, I think. How would how do we work as a team on that? Like if, I, if we've got FHO in a few weeks, I'm like this. We're going to rebuild this bot in code. What's the approach for this with the toolkit? Yeah, so I mean, uh, the nice thing about the way we've done like development with Teams Toolkit is it fits your existing expectations for how you would do this for any other type of app. It's not special in a good way. So essentially, like you would just check your code in. Uh, people can clone it. They can run it on their own. Uh, we also, from like a team perspective, you mentioned CI/CD. Um, one really cool thing we'll do is we'll actually like, I'm still getting better at writing like the actual like pipelines myself. <laughs> Sometimes with the YAML, I'm like, oh, <laughs> um, basically with Teams Toolkit, you can say, hey, add a CI CD workflow to this. You can pick, uh, I think we support uh, GitHub, Azure DevOps, and uh, even Jenkins. Um, so you can pick whatever option uh, your org uses and we'll kind of lay down a, a pipeline template for you automatically. It'll build your app, it'll deploy it if you want. You can publish it as part of a workflow. Basically, we support all of the classic ALM things you would expect. Um, we don't have this built into Toolkit today, but I've also used Playwright to test my team's apps before as well. One really cool thing that I've, our pattern that I've been experimenting with is like, you know how you can create a M365 developer like test in it? I never use the right phrasing, but basically like what I've been experimenting with is like as part of my CICD pipeline, when I have a new build on a certain branch, I'll push to my test tenant. And uh, I can actually like fire up Playwright and have Playwright go through and make sure my app actually works as expected in that. And so you can, wow, okay. yeah, you can kind of use it as almost like a full like test environment. In addition to like local dev, which is what I do in my test tenant, you can also use it as kind of more of a CI/CD test environment as well. So yeah, like it, it works just like you'd expect when you're collaborating. And then we support uh, all of the classic like things you would expect from like application lifecycle management. So we really like with Teams Toolkit, um, 
we started like our initial uh, like charter was, hey, let's make it easy to start building team apps. And I feel like we've done that. Uh, we have made that much easier, especially with things like notification and command bots. Um, but like something that's really important to us is these apps grow up. They're not toys. They get deployed into your organization. And so we really want to support the entire end-to-end development lifecycle, which doesn't stop when you publish the app. So uh, we really have tried to support that entire lifecycle. And I mean, there's still a lot to improve there, but um, that's something that we've really tried to like make a principle of how we build Teams Toolkit. So as a developer that's following along here, like Teams development has definitely been on a journey. How do you keep the community apprised of what's coming next and what you're working on and how can they test preview toolkit builds before they go GA and that kind of thing? Yeah. So, I mean, we're totally open source. Everything we're doing is out in the open on GitHub. So, uh, when you uh, install Teams Toolkit, like there's a deep link, you can actually go straight to our GitHub repo. You can see all the issues, you can see the PRs, you can see what we're working on. So it's all open source. We have like normal build things. So like every single build in certain branches, we're producing uh, a VISIX, which is basically the installable unit you have for Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code. So you can always take that, install it directly into your VS and VS Code. So if you want to be bleeding edge, that's the best way. Uh, we're trying to make it actually easier. Uh, VS Code has a new mechanism, so you can actually do previews. So we're actually thinking about putting a daily build into uh, VS Code. So you can sign up for the daily build of Teams Toolkit, which of course is going to be very bleeding edge, but is a better way to have updates. We also uh, trying to do better about some of our release comms. So like things like blogging, uh, videos, docs, all the things that you expect when pro- new versions of products are released, we're fitting into that. I think like, Perhaps the downside of us being uh, in a different org is sometimes we don't always do a great job of fitting into what the M365 community expects. And we've actually gotten really great feedback from all of you about how we can be better there. So that's something we're working on doing better in the future uh, is like talking about Teams Toolkit and the places you would expect, being predictable with our releases and updates and our roadmap and all of the things that you expect for projects in M365 world. So yeah, like uh, follow the M365 developer blog because we're planning on basically doing uh, a blog there every single time we're doing a toolkit release. Um, we do release right now every six weeks. Now, for the most part, the uh, for the major new features are not landing every six weeks. Um, usually it's every other release, like we'll have a bug fix or perf or reliability release, and then we'll have a feature release. So usually, you know, every 12 weeks or so, you're getting a new influx of features. Um, and we're pretty agile. Um, a lot of teams at Microsoft plan on really long planning cadences. We, like, if you give us feedback, it's very possible it makes it into the next build. Like, we're, we're, we try to reprioritize sprint to sprint because, like you said, things change so much in our world and we really want to be quick to respond to that feedback. So if you give us feedback, it's very possible you'll see that, like, actually manifest in the build very, very quickly, um, which is pretty cool. How many, how many PMs and devs do you have working on this out of interest? Uh, so we have 50 devs. Uh, that are working on it, uh, so quite a bit. And we have, let's I think we have six or seven PMs working on this. Wow, that's amazing. Good for you. Yeah, and I mean, like, formally, our artifact is the toolkit. Um, and that's what our team is ultimately responsible for. But, like, I think maybe an informal responsibility and something we work together on is, like, we just want the entire ecosystem to be awesome, even if that's not work necessarily we're doing on our team. So we're partnering with all these other teams, the graph team, team's platform team, um, all the different teams to say, okay, like, how can we make this simpler? How can we make this better? And so, like, we also spend a ton of time working on just developer experience things that manifest in the platform. And 
weren't technically tooling. Right, because it all accrues to the team's toolkit usage anyway, right? Exactly, yeah. Like, I, I, our, our team tries to take, like, an extreme ownership point of view of, like, the dev experience. Like, we want it to be awesome, whether that's a toolkit change or not, right? Like, we just want the platform to be awesome to use. I really believe it can be, like, the best way to build an app. Um, and that's what we're working towards. And I'm applying a lot of the lessons I learned from my time at Xamarin uh, to what we're doing with uh, with teams as well. So, yeah, we have an awesome team. It wouldn't be possible without them. And so, yeah. So I, I wouldn't be de- I wouldn't be doing my service to my listeners without asking this question. I know you're well, you know, you'll have a good good strong answer for it. But in terms of the community, there there is a community effort for a scaffolding tool with Yeoman. Um, you know, Victor uh, has been on the show. He's now at Microsoft too, which I, you know, obviously you know. What's the positioning for us at Microsoft on that? Is are they competing or are they complementary or, you know, what what's the plan there with that? Because I think that for me as a developer would be a choice that I, I can see people wanting to know the difference. So I'll I'll say this is an area that we're working on improving more as well. But I think our perspective is that they're complementary tools. When I'm building. Uh, you know, when I'm building a mobile app, I'm using many different tools, right? And they're all working in conjunction to help me build that app. And we don't say, oh, well, I'm using Visual Studio. I can't use VS Code. <laughs> or I'm using VS Code. I can't use it. Like, you're going to end up using a lot of developer tools together. There's no one developer tool that's going to solve all of your problems. And so um, I think our perspective is if you're comfortable starting with uh, or using the human generator, go for it, right? Like, that's awesome. Um Ultimately, my goal is, and like what my team is funded to do is make sure that, you know, we're making more Teams apps and that you're successful building Teams apps. And that can be with Teams Toolkit or without it. Another thing that we really want to do is make it so that there's better interop between all these different tools. Like maybe you start in Yeoman and you have like, that's a, you love that as a scaffold. And actually in the future, we're working with that team to essentially have that, uh, the Yeoman scaffold as part of our scaffolding engine. So basically, you could start with whatever sca- opinionated scaffold they have. But long, lo- long term, we want these things to be able to play and you'll be able to go, you know, I'm using Teams Toolkit now. Let me hop over to the human generator. I'm coming back to Teams Toolkit. And you can kind of use both together. There were some poor architectural decisions we made that made that more difficult in the short term. But longer term, that's certainly our aspiration because I don't really care like what you're using to build the app. I just want you to be able to build the app, right? And it to be a great experience. Because ultimately... I mean, that team is, they're generating scaffold, like manifest files and stuff that are to the spec that Teams platform has put in their schemas. So as long as you can incorporate that into the way you're scaffolding and not pave over each other or be incompatible, then that is the case, right? Yeah, for sure. And and like I was saying, like, there's never going to be one thing that solves all your problems. And so I'm actually, I really welcome that all of these things should play better together and should be great. Um, And like, I really appreciate all the work that that project has done because I know we've learned a lot from them uh, as we build out Teams Toolkit. Like they learned, you know how I was saying, we learn lessons about things and we apply them in the future. Like that team gave us some great tips. Uh, We met with Victor uh, when we uh, like started Teams Toolkit and like he gave us some, when he came over to developer division, he gave us some great tips. Yeah. Um, So yeah, like it's been a cool collaboration and like we look forward to doing more there together. Not just with like the, you know, Yoa teams, but like the SPFX generators as well. Like, you know, really we want it to be like one one giant happy community where I can take and use the tools that I want to do to get my job done. And that's really what it's all about. So I definitely don't view them as competitive in any way. Yeah, that makes sense. I appreciate your transparency there. I mean, it's funny because, you know, I've been in this SharePoint space for too long. 
And remember the days of DevDiv, Mike Morton and those guys having VSE, WSS tooling inside of Visual Studio back in the day and there being some community-led tooling there. And they ended up working closely together and comparing notes. And, you know, eventually it was almost like the hand went up the, you know what, I'm stopped using my own community tool now. We're using this one or this has been integrated into it. And and this is where we're moving forward. And so I, I think the fact you've kind of come to that conclusion with with this with the community stuff is really good too. So um, yeah, hopefully everyone will get on board and um, you know give the feedback in both places and help help both things grow. Yeah, I mean, and I'm like a super accessible person. I'm about to go on paternity leave, so maybe I shouldn't say that. But like, normally when I am working, <laughs> you're going to be tired for the next. Yeah, three normally <laughs> when I'm working, I am a very responsive person, and like. <laughs> I always yeah, say are. as PMs, and I think you'll agree, like the most actionable beat, I love her and everything is going great. The most actionable thing for me is your problems because I can go fix those and solve those. And so, you know, if we're not doing something right, come and tell me, come and tell us. Uh, if there's something we can do better, come and tell us because certainly we want to hear that feedback. And like I said, the reason we have these short planning cycles on our team and we release on the cadence we do is so that we get that feedback and incorporate it into the product. So Right, so you're more reactive. Like, I really am an open book. Like, you're not going to hurt my feelings if there's things we can do do better. Like, and if you haven't looked at Team Toolkit in a while, I'll say, like, it's come a long way. Like, there's definitely been a lot of things we didn't do great at the beginning that we've tried to right some wrongs on in the past. So, like, if you gave it a try a year ago or six months ago or uh, two years ago, like, go back, download it again. If you have issues or have feedback, um, just generally, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Like, directly from Team Toolkit, there's a report issue on GitHub link. You can click on that. Don't feel like it has to be like a bug. It can just be like, hey, this like felt kind of funky. This didn't feel right. Like this experience could be better. Um, even that sort of feedback's great. And then of course, like reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Pierce Bogan. Uh, just, you know, you can at me or DM me. And like almost always I'll be like, here's my email. I don't really like want to put that on the internet because I get a lot of spam, but like I'll send you my email privately and then like let's get in touch. And almost always that leads to some conversation we have. Um, and those end up manifesting in toolkit improvements. So yeah, please reach out to me with any feedback you have. I, I'd love to hear what you think of the latest version of Team Toolkit. Awesome. Well, look, thank you again. I really appreciate your time on the show. And I've learned a lot in this episode, so I'm, I'm sure the audience will as well. Um, and you've given all your contact details there, which is great. Um, good luck. Thank you. I know there's going to be a big change to LifeWise now for you. And uh, enjoy those precious moments and definitely do switch off. And you've got a big team behind you there that can continue this march while you're out. Yeah, I'll catch up with you once you're back in the office, I guess. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 